Welcome to a special episode of the Quill and Sword podcast. I'm Captain Joel Hood, United States Marine Corps, from the Center for Law and Military Operations. That's CLAMO. Today I'm accompanied by Dr. Victoria Barnett, one of the world's preeminent scholars of religion and the Holocaust, and the Frank Talbot Jr. Endowed Visiting Professor for the 2022-2023 academic year at the University of Virginia. I'm also accompanied by Mr. Fred Bork, regimental historian and archivist and professor of legal history and leadership at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. Dr. Barnett, we're delighted to host you and are looking forward to this conversation with Mr. Bork. Okay, thank you, uh, Captain Hood. And as uh, he said, thank you very much, Dr. Barnett, for spending time with us today to do a podcast about the Holocaust. So let's dive right in. I understand that the term the Holocaust is is not really that old. It's a fairly recent origin. And I wonder if we could start out with having you explain something about the term Holocaust and what it means. The term Holocaust comes from the Greek word holocaustum, which simply means a burned offering. Um, And in the aftermath of the Holocaust after 1945, this was a term that began to be used, uh, especially in the English-speaking world. There is some contention about it because the Jews who were murdered in the camps were not a burned offering in any sense of the word. Um, I think that term came because of the, the gas chambers, the crematoria, the sense that this, this population had gone up in flames, so to speak. Uh, there's another word that is more widely used in Europe, which is Shoah, which is the Hebrew word for catastrophe. Uh, but in, in this country especially, Holocaust was the word that by the end of the 1950s had caught on. And the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, where I worked in Washington, is called the Holocaust Museum uh, because it's the name that everyone recognizes. So the, the Holocaust results from the final solution that Hitler and the Nazis uh, came up with early on in their time in power in Germany. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the final solution and what Hitler and the Nazis really meant by this and how it's connected to the Holocaust. Sure. So the final solution, talk of the final solution, that phrase is already out there in the 1920s. The Nazi party was founded with a number of ideological worldviews, uh, but central to their ideology was anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jewish people. And in Hitler, this seems to have been a deeply personal, irrational hatred. He blamed the Jews for Germany's you know, um, surrender in the First World War. Uh, he blamed Jews for all kinds of ills. And there was, anti-Semitism was widespread during that era. So this was a, a you know, button that he could push and get mass appeal and, and people really, really hurt him. So this, this notion of creating a German society or a Nazi German society that is, you know, free of Jews was an early talking point. And when he comes to power, that's one of the first things that the Nazis begin to do, is they begin to pass anti-Semitic legislation, systematically removing German Jews from every aspect of public life. Um, ironically, the population, the Jewish population of Germany in 1933 was less than 1%. It was this tiny minority. Um, And German Jews, many of them felt deeply assimilated. This was their country. This is where their ancestors had lived. So it was a shock to many of them to, to, you know, encounter this kind of persecution. But as I said, this remains central to Nazi ideology throughout. Um, The decision to finally embark on 
a mass genocide of European Jews isn't taken until in the middle of the war in January 1942 at the Wannsee Conference. But talk of extermination, talk of getting rid of Jews, whatever it takes, that kind of rhetoric was there from the very beginning. In fact, I've looked at church documents where you have bishops in Berlin talking about um, you know, how, how Germany needs to exterminate its Jews. And, and this is in 1933, they're using that word. So it shows that that rhetoric was already there. Well, I know that, as you indicated, many German Jews were, were really shocked because they felt themselves to be German first, and they loved Germany. Many had served in the First World War and were firm believers in Germany and the state, and so the final solution came as, as a shock, of course. But six million, at least six million Jews uh, died in the Holocaust, uh, but the Nazis uh, also sent others to the camps, not just Jews. And I wonder if you could talk briefly about who else, uh, whom else was a target of the Nazis and who was put in camps. Certainly. When the Nazis came to power, they first went after any group that could give them opposition or pose a problem. So rival political parties, journalists, you know, people that they thought would, would be a problem or who already were publicly disagreeing with National Socialism. But part of Nazi ideology was not just this anti-Semitic core, but it was a broader racialized ideal of the German people that, that Adolf Hitler envisioned as a master race. And so within that worldview, there, was, there were a number of people that didn't belong. That included people with disabilities. That included people with hereditary illnesses. Um, there's sterilization beginning in early in, in the 1930s, and the so-called euthanasia program, of course, in which institutionalized patients were murdered begins in 1939. They also go after people that they think they see as socially undesirable, people who won't fit into the Nazi ideal. It includes you know, people of other races. There were black Germans during that period. They, they begin to encounter discrimination. Um, so there's actually a wide range of different groups that they target. Um, the distinction is that only the Jews and the Roma Sinti population of Europe, the so-called, which, so -called is, gypsies, yeah, which yes. we recognize today as a pejorative word, but, but that was you know, the, the, the terms that we use today as Roma Sinti. But, but they were both both populations were targeted for so-called extermination because, you know, Hitler viewed them not just as, you know, not welcome with the Nazi society, but he really demonized them in the rhetoric. And, and he, again, in this, he was appealing to a wider popular prejudice against these and, people. And I know that uh, in the camps, uh, and even when they were not in the camps, the Jews were made to wear a yellow star of David. Yes, so these were the, the insignia in on the sewn on the camp uniforms when they when they were came into concentration camps. Jews had to start showing some sign of identification. In in Germany the yellow star was introduced in nineteen forty one. Uh, before that, there's a steady escalation of persecution against them. The Nuremberg Laws, for example, strip them of their citizenship. They get special identity papers. Their passports have a big J in the middle identifying them. Uh, but this public visible identification starts during the war years. Uh, with these other populations, it's, it's when, they're, when they're imprisoned in concentration camps, they get this designation. Jehovah's Witnesses were another group, for example, that was very much persecuted, uh, partly because their religion 
religious beliefs preclude them from taking loyalty oaths or serving in the military. And in Nazi society, you know, this was part of what it meant to be a good Nazi. So, so what lesson should we take or should this audience take uh, from our study of the Holocaust? I think the Holocaust has lessons on sort of a universal scale about human rights, about standing up for others, about speaking out when you see evil. Um, I also think that there's a particularity in what happens in the Holocaust to the Jews. Um, that means that we should also really think and fight against anti-Semitism, um, that this is an issue that remains unfortunately important to this day, um, and that it's important when people study the Holocaust that they get sort of the big picture, I would say, of you know, what a totalitarian state can look like and, and the terror that they can wreak upon you know, other nations, members of different populations, but also the particularity of their persecution of the Jews is important to remember. So uh, a final question, if I can. You have spent most of your adult life studying the Holocaust, uh, and you are, as Captain Hood said, an expert in this. So I want to ask you why this has been something that you've devoted so much time and energy to studying. So long story, but I'll keep it short. Um, I got my Master's of Divinity at Union Seminary in New York. And when I was studying at Union, what interested me as a topic was what happens when religion becomes weaponized, what happens when religion becomes ideological. Um, when I left Union, I married a fellow student who was German. I went to Germany, and in Germany, I was looking around for something to write about. And you know, the perfect case study of what happens when religion becomes weaponized is the story of German Protestantism during the Nazi era. And so I begin to collect oral histories. I begin to interview people who had been in the Confessing Church, which was the part of the Protestant Church that opposed um, these measures. And that led to the publication of my first book, and that got me into Holocaust studies. But along the way, I came to care very deeply about these issues and about this particular history. And, you know, I've, it's, I've, I've continued to this day. It's something that I think it's important for people to study. Um, and it's fascinating to me that despite the thousands of books that have been written on this topic, um, there are still things new that we're discovering about it and new things for my students to think about. Well, it's certainly been something for us to think about, and thank you so much for spending time with us to do this brief podcast on the Holocaust. Thank you very much. The views expressed or implied on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States Army JAG Corps or other organizations with which the participants are associated or by whom they are employed.